Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. I'm really delighted today that we have Ken Revisa um, on our PCA One-on-One podcast. Ken is a professor of applied sports psychology at California State University at Fullerton. He's one of the top peak performance consultants in the world, leading authority on on stress management skills and coping strategies, as well as mental skills training for peak performance. And he's worked with some of the best athletes and coaches in the world, including a number of professional teams, the New York Jets, Los Angeles Angels, Dodgers, Galaxy, and the Toronto Argonauts. We might have to explain what that team is to our American. That's a Canadian Football League team. Am I right? Correct. Yeah, also worked with numerous Olympic teams and athletes, <clears throat> uh, wrote one of the best um, books, or co-wrote one of the best books ever on the mental game called Heads Up Baseball, Playing the Game One Pitch at a Time. Uh, he's a member of Positive Coaching Alliance's National Advisory Board um, and uh, has been an advisor to us as we developed uh, several years ago our triple impact competitor uh, model for athletes who make themselves better, their teammates better, and the game better by the way they compete. Um, and Ken, I have to, to say that we just opened our 11th chapter around the country, uh, which is PCA Tampa Bay, uh, right. the Tampa Bay Rays and the Tampa Bay Lightning and a local foundation, a triad, triad foundation funded it. And at our launch committee meeting, or the board meeting, uh, Matt Silverman, who's a president of the of the Rays, uh, and the chair of our PCA Tampa Bay board, uh, I mentioned that you were involved with PCA, and he just raved about uh, the work you had done with them and said that Evan Longoria still calls you whenever he's in a in a slump. So it's mm-hmm. just a real pleasure to have you uh, uh, to talk to you today, Ken. Thank you. Well, it's great to be here, Jim. Thank you. And uh, I've just been very fortunate to learn from a lot of great coaches and great athletes over my 30 years or more of doing this. You Definitely. Bet. So let's let's start off talking about negativity. Uh, okay. What does negativity do to an athlete's ability to perform up to their potential? I think negativity um, gets the athlete so he's not focused on the things he has control of. He's, when you get into the negative mindset, you're into outcome thinking. And one of the keys becomes to stay with the process in what you're thinking. If you can stay on task and focus on the performance and be as positive as you can with the performance and focus on the process, that's what's really going to be helpful, no question. But when you start getting into positive or or the negative, mainly the negative where you're worried about the outcome, that's where um, the troubles come in, definitely. You know, um, I've, I follow you on Twitter. I think it's uh, Revisa Quotes. Is that your Twitter handle? I think someone put that up. I don't have anything to do with <laughs> it. I okay. mean, they, well, I think someone took various there. quotes. Uh, some great quotes on there. One was sounded almost Buddhist to me. It was uh, something like, you know, we need to be able to talk to ourselves as gently or as kindly as, pos- as possible. Um, does, that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, and I think I think sometimes Jim it's it's just talking less bad to yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. I think for some athletes especially with Olympic athletes and professional athletes where you run into a lot of perfectionism, they tend to view things as they're either great or they're bad. And it's either or. And there's all that in between. And sometimes I tell the athletes, hey, that may not be great, but it's less crappy than the last one. (laughs) You know? And for some of them, it's another way of sort of short-circuiting that perfectionist. Another question I ask athletes all the time now, Jim, is are you that bad that you have to feel great to perform well? Whoa, say that again. That's profound. Are you, and sometimes I use another term, but for this interview, are you that bad that you have to feel great to perform well? Wow. Because what I'm really finding that, and you know my early work, Jim, because we go way back, and my early work was in 
um, peak experience, the zone, and I was one of the early guys in my doctoral dissertation in the early 70s looking at the zone. And we didn't even have a term for it at that time except when the athlete was at their greatest. And I spent so long, Jim, trying to get everyone into the zone and into flow states. And where I'm at, I would say, the last 15 years is it's about helping the athlete learn to become more comfortable being uncomfortable. That you're not going to feel great all the time. And I think this is where a lot of my work focuses now is, hey, when you have that confidence, you don't have to feel great to perform well. It's have a good, crappy day. Uh, and that's really what a lot of high-level athletic performance is about. That's what consistency is about, is having those good, bad days and grinding through them. And I you know, think I, that's something in our culture that we want to have everyone feel good all the time. And the issue is if you're going to be involved in competitive sports, you're not going to feel good all the time. Yeah, a good, crappy day is just uh, a really powerful notion we may have to find a different word for that, but yeah. one of the things you, uh, you know, Ken, uh, you and I first met when I think I, I had to go back and look at the date because I didn't believe it was 10 years ago, but it was 10 years ago when Cal State Fullerton came from a really bad first half of the season to, to win the NCAA baseball championship. Correct. And um, they, uh, you know, I read about how when they, uh, when they won, they, they dragged you out there and said, hey, they wanted to give you some credit for it. Um, and one of the things, so, so I, I called you up and said, Hey, if we, you know, we fly you up to Northern California, you spend a day with us and you did. And it was just, just brilliant. But let's, let's go back and talk about the, the Titans, the Cal State Fullerton baseball team in that year and what happened and what you did mm. to, to, to help them, uh, get their confidence back. I think what it was, was getting them to, uh, one, getting the coaches, to get them focused on when they were doing things right because everyone got very – the players were critical on themselves. The coaches were critical on the players. And I remember sitting out there with the coaching staff with George Horton and his staff, and it was one thing, another thing. And then finally I said to him, what's one thing they do right? And George said, we can play defense. And I said, okay, let's build on that. And um, – so just the coaches starting to see what they were doing right. And then when I talked to the team, bringing up the question to them, one, dealing with the reality of the situation, which was at that time, they had the worst start of any Cal State Fullerton baseball team um, in the history of the school. So basically I challenged them with that they had an opportunity to have the greatest turnaround ever. Hmm. of any Cal State Fullerton team, which ironically they end up winning the national championship, and they rolled out quite a streak after that. But it was also, Jim, and I think why everyone was frustrated is they really were a very talented team, and they just weren't playing to their potential. So when we got them back to, hey, let's just focus on us, do what we do, catch them doing things right, and if we just focus on our play and getting better instead of worrying about all the other stuff. And and we really, I think with that group, really got into that whole concept of taking one pitch at a time, took that to a whole nother level in terms of their presence and their ability to deal with adversity. I mean, if there was a bad call by the umpire, whatever, guys would be screaming out of the dugout, so what? We don't need that call, you Whoa. know, and, and they were <laughs> right on the next pitch, you know? So what? We don't need it. I mean, and um, because one thing I've learned, Jim, and especially from that team, is that we we know how anxiety is contagious. But also from that team, I really, really learned how being present is contagious, and it's a uh, powerful, powerful thing. If you can wow. just get to the next pitch with what you got and use 100% of what you got uh, to win the next pitch, that is really what that team was about, and that's what they did. 
Um, now, recently, this year, uh, this past season, I had the privilege of working with the UCLA team that won the national championship. And uh, they were probably the worst hitting team. They were the worst hitting team in the Pac-12. And they won the College World Series. And these guys were unbelievable in terms of they knew who they were. And one of their phrases was, we may not be able to hit, but we know how to score runs. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, and they, they, they really embraced who they were as a team. And they were able to not focus on what they couldn't do, but focus on what they could do. And they were real good at that. They played incredible defense. They pitched really well, and they knew how to get bunts down. And it also yeah, helps. It also helps Jim when the stadium in Omaha is designed for that type of game. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've raised so many things. I want to come back to a bunch of them, but let's let's stay with the, the Cal State Fullerton team for a little okay. bit. Okay. Um, I'm sorry to and, get off the topic there. No, no, this is great. The um, so. Um, Talk about how you how you help them deal with mistakes, and especially the uh, the little the toilet uh, coin coin bank that you had in, in the yes. in the yeah. locker. I mean, in the dugout. I think I think one of the things that's very important when we say you know with the Fullerton team, the whole concept of one pitch at a time. Well, that's what I've spent my life in sport really trying to get into was. How do you go about taking one pitch at a time? It's one thing to say it. It's another to do it. And from my perspective, there's three things you have to do, Jim. One is you've got to be in control of yourself, first and foremost. Uh, well, and even if we back up a step further, first, the foundation of the whole thing is something where we've connected from the beginning. The athlete has to be responsible and accountable for their performance. Because if the athlete takes responsibility, then he or she can change the performance. So that's ground rule number one. Then they've got to do the three things of being in control of themselves, having a plan, and then trusting their athletic ability. Okay. Now, in each sport, it's going to be a little different ways of doing that. In baseball, there's plenty of times. In football, you may have a huddle. In uh, soccer, it's much quicker that you got to do it. But there's still the point where you got to be in control, you got to know what you're trying to do, and you got to trust yourself in doing it. Now, being in control, that involves first and foremost that you recognize what it is that's happening in the situation. Because if you recognize it, that's that's a key starting point, and I view athletic performance like driving a car. You come to the intersection. If the light's green, you go. If the light's yellow, you attend to the intersection. Check your rearview mirror for a police officer. Make your call. If the light's red, you got to stop. The athlete has to learn how to recognize their signal lights. Where are they at? Where's their focus at? Where's their body tension at? Where's their arousal level? Where's their excitement? If they can start recognizing it, then we can start getting control of ourselves. Because if I recognize I'm too keyed up, i got to back it down a little bit. And that's where the toilet came in. If I'm hanging on to the last pitch, I've got to let that go and get to the next pitch. Like with the Angels, uh, Mike Trout. Mike Trout's, his awareness is great. And if he's in the batter's box, and if he's thinking about mechanics in the batter's box, he knows that's a yellow light, and he calls timeout and gets out of the box. Because you can't hit and think at the same time. He understands that. But if I can recognize it, then I have a way to release, whether it's call timeout, whether it's step out, whether it's catch a breath, whether it's flush the toilet. If your sport environment gives you that opportunity and the toilet is just a symbol for letting things go, and it also helps the player laugh a little bit and get things back in perspective because sometimes we're taking it too damn serious, you know? And if I can get in control of myself, then the game slows down a little bit, and I can start thinking clearly. 
Now, in some of the ball-centered sports like soccer, rugby, uh, basketball, the ball is what you go to. The ball dictates it. You know that, but you got to you got to find yourself in relation to the ball. Um, but sometimes the game goes so darn fast that the player's trying to catch up to the game all the time. And if I can recognize it, then I can do some things about it so that I can think clearly. Once I can think clearly, then I can start trusting myself and the game slows down a little bit. You know, Ken, one of the things you said years ago when we first met is, uh, and, and you said, just referred to it earlier, that you spent a lot of your early time trying to get athletes into the zone. Yes. Um, I remember you saying at that point that, um, you know, like the greatest athletes in the world are in the zone at most 15% of the time. Yes. And the, and this I goes still back believe to, that strongly. Yes. Back to the good crummy day. <laughs> Um, that where are they the other times they're they're having a crummy day, and so this concept of uh, uh, not only a good good crummy day, but you also talked about having a plan B. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I I think I think Jim that it's it you know when I use that term crummy day, it's it's I think we get young people so concerned with having to feel just right to perform that then they're obsessed with feeling the right way, and if they don't, there's a sense of panic that comes in. Yeah. And one of the things is if it's about competing, and that's what sport is designed, you compete. And when you compete, you're not going to feel good all the time because the opponent is pretty good also. And matter of fact, if you do really well, what do you do? You make an all-star team. You make an all-star team, what do you do? You play people that are better. If you're on a baseball team and you're hitting ninth and you start hitting, you move up in the lineup. There's more expectations, more pressure. It's the nature of sport. You, you, have, to, you have to compete. And, and this is where the athlete is similar because they're a competitor, they're a performer, they're, cons they're comparable to the musician that has to go out on stage and perform with their instrument or the theater arts person. You can't hide. You have to perform. And that's the beautiful thing about sport, music, theater, that the young person has to take that risk to go in the Greek tradition, Jim, as the Greeks would say, stand naked before the gods, fully exposed, and your actions count. And that's what sport is about, and, and you have to lay it on the line. And that is not easy, and you're not going to feel good all the time doing it. We, one of the, the phrases we use is talking about um, when you're competing as a coach or an athlete, you're in a fishbowl. You know, everybody yes. sees you if you're, you're in, yes. in class and there's a, a spelling bee. You know, you don't have people there uh, booing you when you, when you spell right. a word wrong. Yeah. The sports is very public. Yes. Hey, let me, let me go and back the, to the – yeah, go ahead. Go the, ahead. The other thing, Jim, that I'm really into right now is that competing and this idea of the mental game and being in the moment and stuff – it sounds so simple, but it's so complex. I mean, if you want to talk about Zen, it's very, it's, it's two things at once. It's simple, and then it can get complex really quick. When you're going well, one thing at a time is fantastic. But when it starts going sideways, man, things speed up real fast. And, and I just use the analogy, I... Um, you mentioned my book, Heads Up Baseball. One of the things I'm doing now, 20 years later, is I'm writing a sequel to it. Second, and I'm not really not revising it, but I'm looking at what's changed in 20 years. And one thing that's changed for me is this mental game, this, this idea of competing, involves so many levels. I view it like I described it to one friend. We were at a restaurant. I get a sandwich a chicken sandwich, and I said, hey, if I had to describe the mental game and what I'm working on, it's like this chicken sandwich. The bottom layer bottom layer is of the bun is you got to compete with yourself. you got to compete with your fear, your self-doubt, your confidence. The chicken, that represents you actually have to go out and perform. You have to go out and execute. You have to take that risk. The cheese, that's where your body's at. 
Where you got any aches and pains? You got any injuries? What's going on with your body? The tomato, the tomatoes. How your practices have been going? How's your training been going? How did your pregame go? The lettuce. The lettuce is, what do you have going on in your personal life? I mean, have you had an argument with your friends? If you have a girlfriend, how's that going? How's the family stuff going? All that plays into it. Then you got the dressing. And the dressing on the sandwich is basically your overall confidence going into the game. And then you got the top part of the bun, which is brings you back to competing because you're competing against this performer. This guy that's trying to beat you. That's the nature of sport. What holds the sandwich together is a toothpick, Jim. And the toothpick, for me, is symbolic of you got to know yourself. you got to know yourself through all these levels of the sandwich. you got to know yourself in terms of where you're at with your skill, in taking care of yourself and any injuries you may have, in managing your personal life and the things you have to deal with and getting support when you need it. But when you eat the sandwich, you take the toothpick out, and you have to. When you take the toothpick out, now you have to eat the sandwich. And when you take the bite of the sandwich, sometimes that chicken slides a little bit and the tomato slides, and you got to sort of push it back in, and you sort of got to wipe the the excess from your lips, and you got to get ready for the next bite. And the sandwich is constantly undulating as you're eating it. And that's really what this competing in one pitch at a time is about. It's in constant flux, constant change. And it's really about the compensating and adjusting that needs to be done. And it's that idea of giving 100% of what you got to take care of the next bite of the sandwich. No, it really I probably is went a, off too far on that. Jim. No, no, it's, I'm I'm getting hungry now. But um, the um, they really you really did a great job of describing how something simple can be really really difficult. I, I want yes. to circle back. The first question was about negativity and yes. you know what that does, and you answered it very well. Uh, given how harmful negativity is towards helping athletes stay focused and reach their potential, why is there so much negativity in youth sports? I think because everyone's trying so hard and everyone everyone wants um they want to get the results and they see what's wrong and they don't you don't focus on what the team's doing right and I think that really gets in the way um I think it's the pressure that the athletes are feeling I think it's the pressure that the parents are feeling um the coaches are feeling and they see what's wrong, and they very often don't see what's right. And then that goes into the the young athlete's head, and they start focusing on what they're doing wrong instead of what they do well. You know, when you were talking about the uh, UCLA team saying, um, you know, they're, they're really bad hitters, and they said, we may not be able to hit, but we know how to score. Um, yes. A concept I got from Jerry Porras and Jim Collins in their, uh, you know, first book, um, Built to Last, was um, what vision is. Vision is a sense of possibility. And yes. even though it seemed like what you did, uh, what you helped them see, um, is even though they had a, a liability in terms of hitting, there was a vision there of what they could do. And you created yes, a sense of possibility for them. They could score it, runs. Or the Fullerton team, they could have the greatest turnaround ever. Yes, yeah, they have the vision. The vision, yeah, and vision fuels the fire. No question. I think that um, you know what 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 makes a, a a really great coach is somebody who can instill a vision. You know, help a team come up with a sense of their own possibility. Yes. And when you have that sense of possibility, man, sky's the limit. Yeah, the sky's the limit, and I think that's what a coach, a good coach, does is gets gets the team to believe. But at the same time, uh, Jim, one of the things is just because you got your team believing and they have a vision, 
And you always hear the the Seahawks had a vision, they win the Super Bowl. Well, I also think the Denver Broncos had a vision, and I think a lot of other teams in the NFL had a vision and a mission. It just did not happen to them this year. You know, it's like we make it sound like the only one that had the vision is the winner. And, and if only I, the other teams could have done it, yep. Yeah, but the key is all the other – I mean, I once our, – our women's volleyball team at Fullerton was one of the most mentally tough teams I ever worked with. They were 0-12 in conference play, but they came out every game and played to their capabilities. They had injuries. They were a young team. The conference was strong, and they battled every game. I mean, Jim, it was phenomenal what they did, but they kept getting losses, and they stayed with it. I mean, now that to me is a mentally tough team. We get this idea that the winners have missions, the losers are lacking something, and I just go crazy with that because the other issue that plays into it, there's a lot of luck and serendipity that comes into it, man. I mean, it's like when you watch the Olympics, one thing that irritates me is when the gold medal winner is interviewed and he or she talks about they had a dream, they had a mission, they work hard, they made sacrifices, and they did. But also numbers 2 through 30 had a dream, made sacrifices, and worked hard. And that's, that's where we get into this. When we just end up on the result, it's the way we go about the process that's so important because there were so few winners. I mean, I've been involved with a lot of Olympic athletes, and most of them did not medal. The vast majority, I mean, 90% of them didn't get a medal, (laughs) you know. But, man, they were high-level performers, and they did a heck of a job, and they're changing people's lives in their later years in life. That's for sure. You know, one of our uh, uh, we, uh, our mission has been boiled down. Positive Coaching Alliance mission has been boiled down to four words: better athletes, better people. Oh, um, and, so, right, and that I oh, that's what it's about. No question. And we we talk about um, the the dominant sports culture in our society is an entertainment sports culture, which is about entertaining fans, which. You can only entertain fans if you win, so it becomes win at all costs. And what we want athletic directors at the high school level and board members of soccer clubs and little leagues to do is to create a development zone in their right. organization right. where, yep. yeah, winning is a part of uh, – trying to win is part of the thing, but really it's all about developing better athletes and better people. Correct. And, Jim, where this really hits for me is the last 10 years at Cal State Fullerton – I've had the privilege of working with, um, well, now I just finished my fourth, but the first three were men, um, graduated from West Point, served in Iraq or Afghanistan, and then after their, over their, when they were in service in Iraq and Afghanistan, where they were in charge of 120 soldiers, they come to Cal State Fullerton, where they do a master's, two-year master's program in sports psych where then they go from our program back to West Point, where they work in the Performance Enhancement Center at the U.S. Military Academy, where they work on the mental skills and the things we're talking about as they relate to sport, as they relate to academics, and as they relate to combat and life. And, wow, uh, what I've learned from these people has been, they've learned, I've learned so much more from them. And then, uh, my last student was a female officer, and man, what she went, which I learned from her just in terms of mental toughness and focus, just incredible. So when you talk about that it goes on for life, that's what all of this is about, and that's what really excites me because I've been doing this for a good number of years, Jim, and I, when I'm at Cal State Fuller and I'm at a baseball game, I'll have guys that played 25 years ago come up to me and say, Hey, Ken, still using that stuff. Did more in my life today than I ever did. And that's what, that's what this is about, you know? I mean, because it's not just about helping athletes get scholarships and, you know, reach the highest levels of their athletic ability, but it's the carryover value to life in general. Absolutely. 
You know, our, uh, our, our model for athletes, we call a triple impact competitor, someone who makes himself better, makes her teammates better, and makes the game better. And your comments about West Point and, you know, life lessons type thing made me uh, want to uh, talk with you about that second level. First level is you make yourself better. It's focus on yep. mastery. Uh, yep. Third level, make the society better, your school better. But that second level is make your teammates better. And we yes. say that leadership isn't telling people what to do. Leadership is making the people around you better. Yes. And a, a key aspect of that is this concept of the emotional tank. Everybody has an emotional tank, and when it's drained, you don't play very well. So if your teammates are filling your tank, you're all gonna you're all gonna play better. Correct. And the other issue also with that, Jim, that's very important is for a lot of the young people today, what's changed in sport, and this is something 20 years ago we didn't have, were all of the travel ball, the these all-star teams that travel everywhere, where it, it becomes like in baseball they have these showcases where you showcase your talent. And what a lot of the young athletes in certain sports like the baseball, like the volleyball, where you're constantly showcasing, trying to get a scholarship, is they lose the power of the team. Hmm. They, because the team, it's also helping your teammates perform better, but that also helps you perform better because you're not so focused on yourself. Your energy and attention is out helping someone else. And that gets you, your energy, out there competing with your teammates against this opponent. And you do it together. It's like the military guy saying you got to have the back of the person on your right and the person on your left. You know, And if you keep your energy there, you're going to be taking care of yourself to do that. And you build yeah. a stronger team. My my wife recently went to a, a community organizing conference, and one of the uh, one of the principles there was that nobody nobody stands alone. So if somebody yeah. uh, is feeling uncomfortable, then somebody else is going to stand up with them. Because hmm. you know, imagine Beautiful. being on a team, a sports team, and you feel like you're alone, even though you got teammates there. They're not supporting you. Yes. Yeah. And. Uh, building that team concept is so huge, um, and it's hard because today the team isn't the emphasis, and that's why what what your program's doing is so important. Team is a par is a powerful thing, and it also can help the individual athlete because when we do compete, Jim, we've got to be we've got to have our energy and attention going out, whether it's a pitcher towards the catcher mitt, whether it's the batter picking the ball up, you've got to have your energy out. You can't be inside your head. And when I'm supporting a teammate, my energy is out. I'm I'm external with my focus, and that is so huge, so important. You know, I, I remember reading a while back that um, if if somebody is depressed. The best way to get out of that depression is to is to do something helpful for somebody else. But of course, when you're depressed, that's the hardest thing to do. Right. Right. Seems like what you're saying. If we can focus our attention on somebody else, it really benefits us as well. Yes, definitely. So, um, definitely. Is 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 baseball the hardest mental game in your opinion? Well, I, I'm rather biased on that. Um, I think baseball. I think every sport has its own dynamic that makes it difficult and puts obstacles in our way. But baseball, for me, is a real challenge because it's an individual sport within a team sport because you do have to perform alone. Um, And it has that individual sport quality, but you're so responsible to teammates. The other thing from a biomechanic viewpoint is for a batter, to hit a circular ball with a circular bat is a very difficult motor skill. So that has all the challenges that go with it. Uh, but each sport has its demands, no question. One of the things that seems uh, for baseball and softball uh, is, is the time between pitches. You yes. mentioned before soccer. You may make a mistake out there in a soccer game, but the match, the, the ball just keeps going. 
Uh, the ball keeps going, and in soccer, unless you're the goalie, most people don't even know you made a mistake. That's right. <laughs> in baseball, if you strike out, everyone sees it. And then and you get some softball, time to think the about the pitcher it. has a circle around him, and the pitcher in baseball is higher than everyone else on this mound, so everyone stares at you. Yeah. Um, you you once talked about um, uh, swagger versus confidence, and I think yes. one of the things going on in sports is there's just so much macho-ness. Um, mm. that, talk about uh, your oh. distinction between swagger and confidence. Swagger, to me, is this fake belief. It's this, it's this you pump energy in and, and you get this. Swagger isn't going to hold up over duration. I think what's going to hold up over duration is your, your confidence and your preparation and your ability to handle adversity and that you know that you have something to go to that's going to help you be consistent with your performance. Or as I said earlier in the interview, Jim, giving 100% of what you got, not 110%, 100% of what you got. If you got 60%, give 100% of that 60 and just take care of the next pitch, the next ball, the next possession. And if you keep it that simple, it's more manageable. And that, to me, is what I really try to hit the athletes with versus I'm going to have all this swagger. I'm going to dominate. You're putting, I mean, from Coach Wooden, the great Coach Wooden, I mean, focus on your team. Don't worry about the opponent. The opponent's your friend. The opponent's coming to test you, you know. Let's put the energy on our team. Or as Augie Garrido at Texas, the winningest college baseball coach, says, we're playing nine guys named Joe. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about them. It's about us. And if we focus on what we got control of, that's that's key. Versus I'm going to have swagger and I'm going to show you that I'm better than you and I'm the best. Well, that's that's difficult to do. I'm actually reading Seth Davis's book right now, Wooden, A Coach's Life. And just mm. actually earlier this morning, I woke up early and I read some of it. And he was talking about the fact that Wooden didn't talk about the other team gave his players so much confidence. Like yes. For one thing, they were they were so well conditioned. They felt like even if they're 10 points, 20 points behind at halftime, they got a chance to win. Um, And the fact that you're not talking about how good the other team is gives your your own players confidence. And and that's what has to happen is it's about us. It's not about them. It's about doing the things we do. And, Jim, it's also a matter that you may find out you're not good enough to beat the opponent, but that's okay. How are you progressing towards your goals? Ken, you mentioned earlier the one of the mentally toughest teams you saw was the Cal State Fullerton volleyball team who went zero and twelve in their conference. What? Why do you say they were so mentally tough? I think it was it, that was probably twelve, fifteen years ago. But that group of young women, I mean, they um, they had injuries that year. The team wasn't as strong as some other teams in the conference. They had a lot of adversity they were dealing with and the issue was they brought their game every night they came out they played hard they communicated they worked together and the coach really validated them for that and even though we were getting the L's the losses I mean they kept coming I mean they their practice was good the attitude on the team was good Because as we know, Jim, when you win, it takes care of a lot of issues. And when you lose, the cracks in your armor really show. Well, with this group, they really held together through the storm. And um, that was really impressive. And it's almost the cliche when we we say, if you want to see what someone's really made of, you see when they're facing adversity. But I don't think that's a cliche. I think that's reality in life. No question. A lot of cliches have some deep truths behind them. Yes. Yes. You know, like, you, you, and we've been talking, Jim, about one one play at a time, one pitch at a time, and it's such a cliche, 
And at the same time, it is so difficult to do uh, that on a consistent basis. You know, you once said uh, to me that, um, you know, about when the opponent beats you as opposed to losing a different way. Could you could you talk about um, that? Really, about- that was something uh, Casey Stengel, the manager of the century in Major League Baseball, said more games are lost than won. Uh, we beat ourselves. And I know when I go in and work with teams, one of the things I say to the coaches is, if I could be of some assistance in helping you beat yourself half the time that you do, if we could cut that number in half, you're not going to eliminate it. But if we could cut it down, that's critical. Because as an athlete, losing is tough. But when the opponent beats you and you're lying in bed at night, you know you did everything you could and you got beat and you get a plan to get better. But when you beat yourself, that's where the frustration is, Jim. And that's where your head just rattles all night long, thinking about what if this, what if that, why not that. And it's, you know, you didn't play to your potential. And uh, that's the key variable when it gets down to it. No question. You also mentioned earlier the UCLA baseball team that that maybe played over the, over their potential. Um, what do you think the the secret to their success was? I think with the uh, UCLA team, it was not that they played over their potential, but they played to their potential. Meaning, they knew their strengths, they knew who they were, they knew what they could do, they knew what they couldn't do, and they didn't dwell on what they couldn't do. But they really focused on what they could do. And as they said, hey, we weren't the greatest hitting team, but we knew how to score runs. They knew how to get bunts down. They knew how to do the little things. They knew how to support teammates. Um, And it's those little factors that come into play. It goes back, Jim, when we were talking about the chicken sandwich approach uh, that I was talking about, how the mental game's like a chicken sandwich. That toothpick is your self-knowledge. Knowing yourself, knowing yourself when you're going well, knowing yourself when you're struggling, knowing where your game is at and being able to bring yourself to that game each time. And what I mean by that, Jim, is, and this goes to whatever age athletes that people are working with, you've got to be in control of yourself before you control your performance. As I always say, self-control leads to body control, which leads to skill control. And I think so often we're trying to correct things, fix things, by focusing on the mechanics, focusing on the skill, when sometimes what we have to do is step back and get control of ourselves a little bit to make sure that we are here, that we are focused, that we are using what we got at this time. And if, we can, and if we're in control of ourselves, then we can take care of the other side of the mental game, which is basically the strategy side, which is basically I can think clearly and not overthink, and I know what I need to do when the ball's in my hand or the ball comes to me. So there's, there's a clarity of thought that follows the ability to be in control of yourself. Geez, you know, I ramble uh, on and on, Jim, don't I? <laughs> this is these are gems of wisdom. Um, seriously, the um, what strikes me is that you know positive coaching alliance were about um, you know double goal. You're trying to win on the scoreboard, yes. but then use yes. sports to teach life life lessons. And um, it seems like self awareness is maybe the ultimate life lesson because if you don't know what's going on with yourself, uh, you really can't you can't get any better. Yes. And I think, Jim, and this is the double goal why I love that philosophy, is it's also based on a philosophy, a foundation that the athlete has to take responsibility for his or her performance and be accountable. And when you take the responsibility and you take on the accountability, that's when real empowerment and growth occurs because now – you're not making excuses, but you're looking at yourself and you're able to make the adjustments that need to be made. With, Jim, the risk of finding out you may not be good enough. And I don't think we talk about that enough, 
Um, and that's the risk that an athlete takes, any performer takes when you go stand on the stage or whatever, is you may not be good enough. And then you get the option of either improving your skills or maybe moving on to the next phase of your life and using some of the skills that you took from your sport experience in those other phases of your life. Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, fantastic uh, thought or I would say maybe you just um, you still want to play the game uh, for fun you know not to not to get a college scholarship or be a pro athlete but you know just the joy in the game yeah the joy and the recreational pursuit absolutely absolutely there's always that part of it but that part of it is different when you're than when you're playing in an organized competitive, high level, uh, it's different. But you can still enjoy the essence of the sport and the games. And, of course, in some of the sports, like uh, the running, the swimming, you can do that your whole life. I mean, it's fantastic, you know. My problem was I was a football player. You can only go for so long, you know. Yeah. You you have – a great way of contrasting different things and, um, you know, almost like a little chart, you need to this versus that. Could you kind of go through some of the contrasts that you share with, with athletes? Some of the contrasts are balance points. Um, are, are things like you got to keep the process greater than the outcome, that the outcome is there, and, yes, there are times we focus on it, but we got to keep the majority of our attention on the process because we slide <coughs> too much to the outcome, then we lose focus and control. No question. Okay, you got to keep the controllables greater than the uncontrollables. Are there parts of the game you don't have control of? Yes. Do we do we visit those parts during a game? Yes. But we got to keep shifting our place self back to what we have control of. We've got to keep this moment greater than any other moment in the game because this moment is the most important moment because this is where we are at this time. And I think sometimes we carry the past with us or we're worrying about that difficult part of the performance that's coming up. But if we can keep where we're at greater than any other part of the performance, that's going to help us focus. If you can keep the internal If you can keep, I'm sorry, keep the external greater than the internal, meaning that if you can keep your eye on the target at times so that you don't get so internal with your thinking and overthink it and start thinking way too much but think to the right proportion, I think that's critical. Um, I, I think of like an equestrian rider who's going over jumps uh, just dealing with, yeah, they better be on the horse, but they also got to be projecting to getting the right line and distance to the jump. If they're too focused on their mechanics and they're not external with their focus, they're going to run into problems. Um, those would be a couple of things. Uh, another one that jumps at me, Jim, is something we talked about before is, uh, keeping the pleasure of competition greater than the pressure of competition. Yep. And the pleasure is what a lot of the positive coaching is about, is keeping the joy of the thing, keeping the joy of the movement experience, keeping the joy of learning. Now, when I say that, Jim, I also think you, uh, and I say this to athletes, you can have fun with a tear in your eye. And what do I mean by that? I mean that you're pushing your limit. You're pushing the edge. It's painful. It hurts. But it's great because you're, great. you're in the midst of doing it. It's like you talk to most athletes. What's one of the joys? Walking home from a workout, sore, a little achy, but you feel good as you're walking home because you know you did your work. And that's, that's there are lovely. all those all those little joys. It's not just we're telling jokes and everyone's smiling and we're dancing as a team. I think that's a misnomer. I think the joy, the joy is just oh, so many other factors in the pursuit of excellence and being around our teammates. 
in supporting a teammate who's struggling and picking that guy up a little bit. All of those little things. You know, it isn't just, well, we're, we're hacking around and having fun. You know, I, uh, one of the ways I've <clears throat> characterized that, I, I love that. Um, one of the ways I characterized it is that uh, effort and enjoyment are entwined. That, yes. That when, I, when I work really hard at something, uh, the first time I bought a car, I, uh, I did all this research. You know, I, I read about how the car dealers negotiate, and I spent a whole bunch of time, and I got what I felt was a really good deal. And I remember going home that night, and I got up in the middle of the night and went and looked out the window at the car that I'd bought, and I just felt so happy about it. And partly I was so happy because of all the effort I'd put into it. Right. Right. Let's yep. talk about the dark side a little bit. Um, okay. You, uh, you know, I think probably everybody, no matter how optimistically wired they are, how mentally tough they are, um, goes to the dark side sometime. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think what that's is it's part of the human condition that there's times when self-doubt comes into the into the fray, and I think one of the things uh, where a lot of athletes experience this is before competition, they feel anxiety, and then they start getting anxious that they're feeling this anxiety, and it, it feeds it. And one of the things I talk with athletes about is you're going to feel anxiety before a big game. Um, you're going to feel a little anxious at times. That's uh, that, But sometimes that anxiety, Jim, is you're excited. You want to go out and perform. Um, I mean, it's excitement. But sometimes it is nervousness, and it's okay to be nervous. I know for me, when I have to give... Um, if I'm giving a presentation to a large audience, before I go up and give my speech that night before, I got some butterflies going. I mean, my, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm a little excited about going up there. I don't always walk up there uh, totally one-pointed, focused, and everything else, but I go through my little dance and. Uh, what it does is it keeps me sharp, keeps me focused, helps me respect what I'm doing and making sure I did the preparation and making sure I do the run-through one more time. Um, and that's, that's one of the things, Jim, that I've really learned from the military people that I've had the privilege of being around is the angst, that anxiety, that, those, that queasy feeling, you use that to sharpen your sword. You use that to make sure you're you're doing your preparation and you're ready for what you're about to do. And I think if there's one thing hopefully people get out of this conversation is that feeling good is overrated, man. You're not going to feel good all the time, you know? And I think we're 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 leading people astray to think they're going to feel good all the time, you know? Sometimes it's back to you got to have that good rough day, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, it strikes me that takes takes you back to the the importance of self awareness because you <clears throat> you need to be yes. aware yes. of you know the yes. um, your anxiety so you can deal with them. Um, yes, you've got a great quote about um, you know the the old um, cliche about an optimist sees the um, <laughs> cup is half full and. Pessimist yeah. sees it half, half empty. You, you've got a take on that that I really like. Could you share that with us? Well, we're, we're I, you know, we talk about the cup being half full, the cup being half empty, or you're positive or you're negative. But I think when you're competing, there's times just be thankful there's a cup. Just be thankful you're out there and and you're able to compete. Um, I think one coach that really hit me with that was Skip Bertman uh, at LSU, the baseball coach, great man, uh, went on to be the athletic director there. And Skip used to talk to the guys about keep the whole darn thing in perspective. And he would talk about major issues going on in the world and the problems people were having. And then he would talk about, you know, so you're out for four. I mean, is it relevant? You know, big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that part of it is, as an athlete, hey, 
just be thankful at times that you're you're in the uniform. You can smell the the fresh cut grass. You're getting dirty with your uh, teammates. You're playing hard. You know you're competing, and you can enjoy that part of it. And Jim, you know, as you get into this, one of the things when I work with an athlete, because uh, I do a lot of work with athletes one on one. And one of the first places we start is we start on why do you play? What do you love about it? It yep. was like, um, I, you know, I mentioned I'm a professor at Cal State Fullerton, and I've done it for 35 years. And the first 10 years of my academic career, I would have students come to my office, and they would talk about they wanted to drop out of school. And I would sit down with I with them. I would listen to them. I would counsel them. We'd meet again. We'd meet again. We'd meet again. And generally, Jim, I wasn't good at talking students into staying in school. Matter of fact, I got frustrated trying to do it. And I was sharing this with a friend, and he gave me this strategy. When someone comes to you, Ken, and they start laying all that out to them, just say, quit. And I said, what? Yeah, just tell him to drop out of school. And I said, I can't do that. And But what he was getting at was when you hit him with the other side of it, hey, drop out of school. Uh, one, it shortens the conversation. <laughs> and the second thing that he said was when they get to the office door to leave your room, just say to him, remember these four words when you leave campus. Do you want fries? Because that's where you're <laughs> going to be working. Yeah. Okay? So I would say that. And the person would look at me, and I remember I did that a couple times. And then about two years later, I get a knock at my office door, and it was a student. And he said, do you remember me? And I said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, you were the guy that told me to drop out of school, and I wanted to come here and thank you because I'm back in school, but now I want to be here because I want to be here. Yeah. And it is so much different, and it is so much easier. And sometimes when you know why you're doing something, it provides the motivation and the foundation, you know, to persevere through the adversity. Now, when you go through the duration of a season, Jim, there's going to be the highs and lows that go with the season, the ebbs and the flows. And one thing I've always uh, felt very strongly with and with my own children, this is one thing I really emphasize that um, I encourage parents, is when the child wants to play on a team for the season, they are on the team for the season. They make the commitment. And, yes, there may be some other players on the team that are idiots. The coach may not be the perfect coach. Well, later on in life, they're going to work with people that they may not see eye to eye with. And they may work with bosses or supervisors that aren't the brightest apple in the cart. And this is where... Sport teaches us so much about the social skills. Back to the double goal, there's these other lessons being learned as we participate. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned parents, and maybe maybe this is a good place to to wrap this up. What okay. um, what advice do you have for sports parents? Biggest advice I have in the year 2014 is validate your son, your daughter for their courage to go out and perform and take the risk. Because a lot of young people today do not go out and perform. They, they, they don't do the grind and learn the skills that it takes to be a performer, whether it's in sport, music, theater, and it takes courage to do that. Um, and so many of the kids today play with the computer. It's all about, uh, you know, start over buttons on the games and uh, playing these imaginary games versus going out and laying it on the line. And I think for the parents, I know at times you get frustrated with your children with their performance and all the stuff that goes with it. 
but they are very courageous for what they're doing. That's beautiful. That's that's fantastic. Ken, I want to thank you for all the wisdom here. This is fantastic, and we're going to uh, get it out to as many coaches, parents, and athletes as we can. And really want to thank you for your time and for your support of the Positive Coaching Alliance movement. That sounds great, Jim. And if there's anything else I could do, let me know. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.